There's one person out there that goes to the podcast side anyway. We do. Good. There are at least two or three. Uh, I was on holiday this week and I had some time to read and I was reading a great book by a pastor, a book that he wrote about being a pastor to pastors. So most of you probably wouldn't enjoy it at all, but I enjoyed it immensely. He was talking about how your average pastor is treated by his congregation and most of the time in the community at large. And this is what he said. He writes, Everyone treats us so nicely, no one seems to think we really mean what we say. (laughs) I don't know if that resonates with you, but it resonates with me. Then he adds, Are these people right? Is their way of life in no danger from us? Of course, his point is that if the Bible is accurately preached and understood, no one's way of life is secure. You say, Jim, what are you saying? I'm saying that the call of God is radical, it is extreme, and it is revolutionary. No one's way of life is secure in the face of Jesus Christ. He is, Jesus Christ is the consummate subversive. He is the quintessential revolutionary. He fully intends to turn men and women's lives upside down. He fully intends to do that. If we've rightly understood the Word of God, it's not possible, in my opinion, to continue to think and live like the world. Even a superficial reading of the Scriptures regarding the birth of Jesus reveals the radical nature of this event and how it affected dramatically the lives of all who were involved. Did you notice in the passages that that Richard so graciously read for us tonight, there is awe, there is wonder, there is obedience, there is surrender, There is sacrifice. There is the miraculous. There is joy. There is worship. There is adoration. And without exception, there are changed hearts and changed lives. That's a huge part of the Christmas story. Ways of life were forever turned upside down by this encounter with the living God. God is in a manger. It's awesome. And anyone who believes that will not be unchanged. If you really believe that's God in a manger, you will not leave unchanged. You cannot leave that manger unchanged. I've shared this quote with you every Christmas. I've been here seven years. I share it every Christmas. In fact, sometimes I work it into other sermons. You probably heard it about three or four weeks ago if you were here. But I love this quote. In my view, it's the best Uh, attempt by a man to try to quantify the manger. Talking about the incarnation of God Himself. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher, said this, Infinite, yet infant. Eternal, yet born. Almighty, yet suckled. Upholding a universe, yet laying in a manger. I am is in a manger. The God who effortlessly spoke 50 plus billion galaxies uh, into existence, He's lying in a manger, in a nowhere place, in a stable, 
If you think about it, if you really believe it, it takes your breath away. If you really believe it, take your breath away. There's a I've got to quote another theologian for you, J. Ab Packer, famous theologian. Most some of you have heard of him, I know. I love what he says. It's so simple. He says, the more you think about it, the more staggering it is. Amen? If you think about it at all, it is staggering. God is in a manger. I am is in a manger. And He's in a manger because He loves His people. That's why God has done this unbelievable thing. In my view, this is... <laughs> you know, to... to to play off of Packer's quote, I think born-again Christianity, its you could say it's people who are staggered, simply trying to live out the awe of it. The wonder of it. And the passion of it. If we really believe He's there in that manger, how can we not fall in love with Him? How could we ever continue to think and live like the world if we believe that He has come for us in this way? To, to quote Charles Spurgeon again, I love what he says. He says, real Christians are spoiled for this world. Our heart is no longer set upon this world. The world has no true hold on our affections any longer. <laughs> God is in a manger and He's come for me. He's in the manger because He's come for me. He's come for His people. In essence, Spurgeon says, this world and everything it has to offer is simply too small for the Christian. It is too small for the Christian. Only God can fill the heart of the true believer. It's the whole strangers and exiles thing of Hebrews 11. It made me think of Pilgrim's Progress. You remember right at the very beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, that great, that great uh, allegory that John Bunyan wrote, the evangelist pointed Christian to the narrow gate. He says, you've got you to gotta run to the narrow gate. And Christian takes off running. And he takes off running to the narrow gate. And you remember what happened is his family and his friends came out and said, hey, don't run! Don't, don't take this Christianity thing too serious. Come on back and be like us. Right? And you remember what Christian did? He put his fingers in his ears and he, he was just running. He said, life, life, eternal life. This is what Spurgeon means. We're spoiled for this world. We can't live like everyone else. God's in a manger. God's on the cross. I'll never be the same if I really believe that. If I really believe that. The inevitable result of understanding that that is God in that manger is, is kind of a stunned, breathless, perpetual astonishment that touches every single area of your life. No part of your life will go untouched. No part of your life will go un. Change. And I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm sure there are probably some in here who are not uh, Christians tonight. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying on the authority of God's Word, that is, I am in that manger. That is, God incarnate in that manger. And you must respond to that. Every man, woman, and child must respond to that truth. 
God is in a manger. When I was in seminary, I spent one whole summer studying the incarnation. I mean, yeah, we were going to get to the bottom of it. Wrong! We studied you know, what the greatest teachers in the history of the church have said about Jesus Christ and about the incarnation of, of God, about the God-man. And we found out that while most of the greatest, well, the greatest theologians in the history of the church, they all believe it and affirm it, but none of them can explain it. We've talked a lot about this. Praise God for the mystery of the Gospel. Praise God for the mystery of the God-man. There's only one reasonable response to the fact that God's in a manger and He's on His way to the cross, that is that you would give yourself away to Him, just as He has given Himself away to us. And I say this to you all the time. That's biblical Christianity. We're not religious. We don't do religion. We're not hung up on that. We have one thing to do. Go with Christ. One thing. Christianity is so simple. One thing. Go with Jesus. Do what Jesus says. He says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? The Christian has one job. Follow Jesus. That's it. Follow Jesus. So God is lying in a feed trough in a stable in a nowhere place called Bethlehem. It's a staggering reality to me. And if you're a Christian tonight, it's a staggering reality to you. And if you're an unbeliever tonight, it still should be a staggering reality and you must deal with that fact. It is a fact. And you must deal with it. The Good Shepherd, He's in that manger because He's come to lay His life down for me. He's come to save His people. How can you not get jazzed about that, Christian friend? Don't you dare let Christmas go by and not be in awe of what God has done. Don't you dare let it go by and, and, you, and focus on all these lesser things that try to steal away the wonder of what this is all about. Don't you dare let that happen this Christmas. And I want to say to you, you and I desperately and urgently need God to be in that manger. If that's not God in that manger, then that's not God on that cross. And you and I are still in our sins and we're on our way to hell. But praise God, He is in that manger. He's in that manger. And He's come for His people. I want you to turn with me. I'm not... Tonight's a little different. I'm not preaching a text as I normally do. But I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 just real quick, just for a minute. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 through 3. It's a famous text. Most of you are familiar with it. The Apostle Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, "...and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you..." formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Did you notice in verse 1, we were dead in our sins. Hey, but God's in a manger. Did you notice in verse 2, we were captive to Satan, but God is in a manger. 
Verse 3, we are by nature children of wrath. We, in fact, Paul is saying we were hell bound. But God is in a manger. Praise the Lord. He's come to save His people. God unbelievably has taken on flesh. We know that great text in Philippians. We'll get to it in a couple of weeks about the infinite condescension of Jesus Christ. Yes, dead. Yes, captive. Yes, damned. But what does verse 4 say? But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved His people, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 4, you got to love two of the most beautiful words in, in any human language, but God. God is in the manger. And He's come to save His people. Beloved, how can you not worship? How can you not give your life away to such a beautiful and awesome God? God supernaturally. You know, the, the, the analogy is both vivid and correct. We are like Lazarus, Lazarus in that tomb. We are dead, as the text says, in our trespasses and sins, but God speaks life. The analogy is perfect. God supernaturally creates life where there is no life. It's part of the compelling story of Christmas, right? What did Mary say when the angel said, you'll have a, you'll have a son? What was, her, what was her question? What did she say? How can that possibly be? I, don't, I have not known a man. What did, what did Gabriel say? <laughs> Nothing's impossible with God. God creates life where there is no life. He did it in Mary's womb. And if you're a Christian tonight, He's done it in your soul. You are born again by the supernatural power of God. God is in a manger. He's come to save His people. We were dead, but God's in a manger. We were slaves and captives, but God is in a manger. We, we were children of wrath, but God is in that manger. And He's come to save His people. Our beautiful warrior shepherd. You look at the word there in John chapter 10. The good shepherd. The Greek is kalos. It's the word we use in English to build the word kaleidoscope. There's this connotation of infinite beauty there. The beautiful warrior shepherd has come to give Himself away to save His people. It's a love story. It's a romance. It's a sacred romance. There's never been a romance like this. There never will be another like it. As I said earlier, let the whole created order stand in staggered, stunned, breathless awe. I am as in a manger, and I am it will be nailed to a tree. Let the whole created order stand in awe of this God. Who is a God like Who is a God like ours? Who has ever loved like our God has loved? And did you notice the Christmas story? God didn't send some subordinate for us. He didn't, some, he didn't send some assistant to collect us. He came for us. I love that about the Christmas story. He personally came. He personally came to redeem His people. God says stuff like this, I've chosen gladly to give you the kingdom of God. God says, I, I've freely given you all things. 
God says to His people, I rejoice in doing good for you. God says to His people, I will not turn away from doing good to you. God says, you are co-heirs with My Son. How can you not worship, beloved? How can you not make every day about Him? How can you not? I know none of us do this perfectly. I know none of us, we, we do it quite imperfectly. But how could we not give ourselves away to this awesome God? Google says, among other things, that there's at least one to two billion people who profess to believe that God is in that manger. In a couple of weeks, multitudes will flood into churches Folks who only come once or twice a year uh, professing to believe that they uh, believe that that is God in the manger. But you can tell that most of them don't really believe it. You know how you can tell someone really doesn't believe it? Because you cannot see it in their life. You cannot believe that God is in a manger in a vacuum. You cannot believe it. It is impossible. It will change your life. You can tell if someone doesn't believe it, there'll be no awe, there'll be no wonder, there'll be no joy, there'll be no worship, there'll be no obedience. If you really believe God's in that manger, there's no part of your life that will not be radically affected. Christianity is not like the rest of what is called world religions. Christianity is not abstract and theoretical and academic. It's not simply head knowledge. It's, it's a heart that's been born again. It's a heart that's hopelessly in love with Jesus Christ. To really believe is to be changed forever. As Richard read the passages, I, and I'm, I'm sure you're, many of you, if not most of you, are familiar. You know what did what did what did Mary do when God invaded her life? Obviously, for those of you who have met Him, you understand when He steps into your life, there are a lot of practical implications. There are a lot of practical implications when God steps into your life. You know, this was going to radically change her plans. Can you imagine? Can you imagine all the questions in this young woman's mind? Can you imagine? Probably some of the same questions you had when he showed up in your life. Can you imagine all the questions? You know, this was going to involve some serious legal risks to her. This would involve some serious relational risks. The whole deal was fraught with peril, I would say. And hey, it is for every Christian. It's kind of like when Christian, when, you know, in Pilgrim's Progress, when he started off running, his friends and family said, hey, don't, don't, don't go overboard with that stuff, man. Play it safe. You can be nice and religious, just don't, you know, be cool. But the born-again believer, he can't be cool. <laughs> he can't. <laughs> He's met God. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. Do you remember Mary's response? It's the heartfelt response of every true believer. Luke 1, 38. 
She called herself a bond slave. What does it mean to be a bond slave? Someone tell me. What does it mean to be a bond slave? It means I am a slave by desire. I desire to be your slave is what she's saying to the Lord. I desire to be your slave. And then she says, what does she say? Be it done to me according to your word. Beloved, this is true, Christian, genuine, authentic, born-again faith. Be it done to me according to your word. Even if it's costly, even if it's risky, be it done unto me according to your word. It's what real faith looks like. How did it, how did it go with Joseph when Joseph invaded when, pardon me, when God invaded Joseph's life? Obviously, there are a lot of practical complications for Joseph. Can you imagine all the questions in his mind? Can you imagine how complicated it must seem in his mind? Can you imagine all the uncertainty in his heart about this news that he has received? But you remember Joseph's response. Matthew 1.24 Joseph did all that the Lord commanded. <laughs> real faith. Real belief. It's in the life. It's in the life. Life-altering obedience, even when it's complicated, even when it's in the face of uncertainty. You remember the shepherds. You remember what the shepherds did when, they, when God revealed Himself to them. And I love, I love what the Scripture says about these guys in Luke chapter 2. They didn't stand around talking about it. They went straight to Christ. <laughs> there was no debate. They went. They went looking for Christ. In haste, the text says. And they were giving testimony and glorifying and praising God. That's what it looks like when you get the Christmas story, beloved. That's what it looks like when you really understand the Christmas story. You can't be lukewarm about it. You can't be lethargic about it. You can't be apathetic about it. God's in the manger. If you really believe it, everything changes. Everything changes. Changes. It's what real Christians do. It's a life-altering devotion and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the Magi? What did they do when God revealed Himself to them? Man, they traveled 800 to 1,000 kilometers. I didn't do the exact math. It doesn't matter. This is a long way to go. On a camel. I rode a camel last week. I, trust me. It's a long way to go. On a camel, I was really happy to get off the camel. <laughs> These guys traveled up to a thousand uh, uh, kilometers. It's no small matter in those days, but they would not be dissuaded. They had one thing on their mind, to worship this king. To worship this king. The text says that uh, as they came, they rejoiced with exceedingly great you can always tell someone who believes, who really believes God's in the manger, there will be joy in his life or her life. That is one of the hallmark signatures of genuine Christianity. Joy. Joy. They came with great joy. And it, the text says, hey, they fell down and they worshipped Him. They fell down and they worshipped Him extravagantly. Let me ask you, beloved, are you worshiping Christ extravagantly in your life? In every area of your life? 
in your marriage, in your job, in your money, in your singleness, in your studies? Are you worshiping Christ extravagantly in your life? These men made offerings of gold and frankincense and myrrh. It's what real belief looks like. Unrestrained and extravagant worship in the life. The Christmas story is preeminently about the Word becoming flesh. You guys understand this. The the theological word is incarnation. God became a man. God took on flesh. That's what the Christmas story is about. But what the point I'm trying to drive home here tonight is that there's another kind of incarnation that flows out of the Christmas story. That that kind of incarnation I'm talking about is that you are supposed to do the Word of God. That's the kind of incarnation I'm talking about. God became flesh that God's people might do His Word. So that's what I want you to hear tonight. And I want you to examine your heart through this Christmas season. Have you given your life to Him? Have you really given your heart and your life to Him? Are you incarnating the Word? We know what James chapter 1, verse 22 tells us. God calls His people to be doers of the Word. Have you become a doer? If you haven't become a doer, and I'm not talking about perfection, that's not what I'm talking about, but if it's not your heart's desire to do the Word of God, you have every reason to question your profession of faith in Christ Jesus. That should be in the core of your heart. To incarnate God's Word in the world. God means for Christianity to be visible and to be conspicuous and to be seen in the world. And He means for that to happen through your life. So we're talking about the incarnation of God, but we're also talking about the incarnation of God's Word into our life. Sometimes I'll hear people say, wow, that guy's radically converted. How many of you have heard this before? Wow, that guy was radically converted. Beloved, I stand here on the authority of the Word of God to tell you there's no such thing as a non-radical conversion. If it's really happened, it will be radical. Jesus Christ is the consummate revolutionary. He means to turn your world upside down. Sometimes I'm, I'm in awe that some of you people come back. Because, you know, I, I really do my best to, as, as uh, the author of that book says, Eugene Peterson says, you know, sometimes I, I'm surprised you still like me. Because I know I, I'm always pushing you. But you know why I push you? You know why I push you to Jesus? You know why I push you to Jesus every week you come in here? You know why? Because He's your best life, now and forever. He's your deepest joy, now and forever. And if you're looking at something else, if you've been distracted... I exhort you, repent and run to Jesus. Repent and run to Jesus. God says there's no such thing as as a non-radical conversion. He says if you're in My Son, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away and new things have come. We saw it in Mary's life and Joseph's life, the shepherd's life and the magi's life. Their life would never be the same. I think I shared this with the young people a couple of weeks ago. 
John MacArthur, that famous preacher in the States, he tells a story about when he was very young. He heard a, a fiery Scottish preacher deliver a great sermon and he was really moved by it. So he went up to the, the, to the, the preacher after the, after the sermon. He says, man, that was, a great, that was a great message. Man, I really enjoyed that message. And the preacher looked him in the eye and about knocked him over with what he said. He said, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> and MacArthur was like, you know, Wow. <laughs> but the more he thought about it, the more he realized that man was loving him. And I'm, I'm doing my best to love you tonight because I'm, I'm asking you, what are you doing with the Christmas story? What are you doing with it? Beloved, God means for you to be doing the Word of God. God means for you he means for that awe and that wonder and that passion to flow through your life. To flow through your life. That's my exhortation to you tonight. Do you really, really believe God is in that manger? And are you living like you believe that God is in that manger? That is my exhortation to you tonight. God says the Word was made flesh. And then God says, My children shall flesh out the Word. That's the Christmas story for the true believer. Lives that incarnate, embody, and manifest God's Word. Life-altering, risk-taking faith like we saw in Mary's life. Life-altering, never-look-back obedience like we saw in Joseph's life. Life-altering, unqualified devotion like we saw in the shepherd's life. Life-altering, extravagant worship like we saw in the life of the Magi. Beloved, if you believe God is in that manger and He's there because He's come for you, how can you dare live like the world? How can we dare live like the world? If God is in that manger and He's on His way to the cross, I exhort you, I exhort you tonight to have the best Christmas you've ever had. Get on your face and worship God. And give yourself away to Him like you never have. Some of you in here may not be Christians at all. You may just be merely religious. This happens a lot in Christendom. I challenge you to examine your heart. As Paul told the Corinthians, examine your heart. Examine your heart. Do you really believe God's in that manger? Listen, beloved, if you really believe it, your life will be radically different than if you don't really believe it. So I exhort you tonight. I exhort you tonight. Hey, I would be the worst kind of pastor. I would be guilty of the worst kind of malpractice not to stand here and challenge you. Challenge you. Let the Christmas story be real in your life this year like it never has been before. Give your heart and your life and your mind and your soul and your family and your money and your job and your talents to Christ. You're a vapor upon the earth. I tell you this about every week. Compared to eternity, you have, you have moments. I challenge you and exhort you to be a good steward of all that God has given I exhort you and challenge you to make much of Christ Jesus. He is worthy. 
He is worthy for you to give yourself away to Him. I challenge you to have the best Christmas you've ever had. God is in a manger. God is going to the cross. God has redeemed His people. Rejoice and give thanks. He is our awesome warrior, shepherd, redeemer, God. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Let's pray together. Beautiful Lord, we, we thank You that You've loved us. You've come for us. We thank You that you, every time we go into Your Word with, with an open mind and an open heart, You challenge us. You call us deeper. You never don't call us deeper. And we thank You, Father. We thank You for Your faithfulness to keep Your hands on the clay. Continue to conform us into the image of Your Son. And Lord, I pray for those who might be here tonight who don't know You. Holy Spirit, I pray You will, you will bring the Word with great force and power into the heart and into the mind. We pray for conversions tonight, Lord. We pray for rededications that men and women who have grown cool in their love for You would be hot again. They would be white hot in awe of the fact that I am is in that manger and I am is on that cross. Oh God, Help us to live like we really believe that. We want our lives to be changed by Your beauty and by Your power. Give us the faith, Father, to live these few moments we have on this planet. Give us, give us the faith we need to proclaim the beauty and sufficiency of Jesus. May we live it in our families. May we live it at work. May we live it at school. May it impact the way we think, the way we plan, the way we hope, the way we dream, the way we give our money, the way we serve our church. Have Your way with us, awesome God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pardon me? No, no? Okay. I've just had a staff update. Uh, no singing. No singing. Okay. Guys, I know I was really strong, but I can't help. Hey, I didn't get to preach last week, so this happens. It happens if I take a week off. All this pent-up preaching is in there. So, But listen, hey, I'm serious. Don't let this Christmas go by. Don't let it go by without being in awe of who He is. Hey, we're going to have a fellowship. And I uh, hope you can stay for a few minutes and, and eat some stuff. I don't really know what's out there, but I'm sure it'll be delicious. So let me, let me just pause for a minute. I'm going to give thanks for the food and then, and then we'll just dismiss and we'll go out there and, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a few minutes of fellowship, okay? Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for the food You've given. Bless it to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless. God bless. Merry Christmas. Ask if there's anybody that has to go back to family goes to immediately. Okay. 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 Hey, if anybody needs to go back to Famagosta immediately, just let me know. Please let me know. And if you can help taking people back to Famagosta, let me know. Thank you. Hey, good job, man. Good job. That's what it's standing in the gap, buddy. <laughs>
I did good. Hey, where's that list? That pa where's that paper I gave you? It's uh, I've got. I've got. I wanted to, because uh, I wrote the prayer request on there. I need to. I want to. Uh, right now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. We will. Do you need to go too? No. I've got everything here with me. I don't know. Okay. This is all I need. Okay. What? Give me a few minutes. We'll get somebody. Yes, no problem.